Hi, everybody. David Noor. I want to welcome you back uh, along with my co-host, Jen Kors, to another episode of Rev Up Live. We're excited to share with you best practices and really driving revenue growth processes, uh, capabilities, and tech stack. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So for our audience, if you've listened to or if you've participated in the previous episodes, we talk a lot about really two fundamental set of beliefs, our research, our kind of thought leadership. Number one is around this idea of a customer lifecycle journey. A lot of our clients are in the SaaS business or recurring revenue business model, which again, if, if you've been in the business world for more than five minutes, you realize has a dramatically higher valuation in terms of the value of the organization and the unique value you bring to market. And SaaS-based or recurring revenue-based model companies, it's not a one-time sell and you're done. As a matter of fact, I often talk to, we often talk to clients about the relationship really starts after that customer buys. So if you think of a infinity loop, uh, you know, on the left-hand side, it's really a fundamental focus on how do we create awareness? How do we create uh, consistent engagement? How do we create an opportunity for that end client to uh, evaluate? And it's not, it's less about us, more about how they're better off because of us. And in that process, how do we really help them buy? And uh, in sharing my screen, I'm going to show uh, really what uh, the opportunity is in not just creating uh, this one-time sale, one-time transaction, if you will, but really on an ongoing basis. So as I mentioned, uh, you know, after create awareness, after you create engagement, after you help them evaluate, let's say best case scenario, they buy. And that's really where the relationship starts. So Jen and I talked to a lot of clients about how is the handoff from when they say, yep, I believe in the value proposition. I believe in that we'll be better off because of you as an organization. How's that handoff then to adoption? Because if you promise me a whole lot of value on the left, but then I don't adopt, I don't embrace it, I don't use it, guess what's going to spike? Yeah, attrition, right? Thanks very much. We signed up once. I don't need to do it again. When they do embrace it and they adopt and you onboard them and you train and develop them and really get them engaged, you then create an impact in their business. Only when you create impact in their business, they become evangelists. And this more than customer satisfaction, it's more than customer advocacy. These people become flag-carrying evangelists for you, your brand, your unique value proposition. And guess what? You then have an opportunity to deepen that relationship, more meaningful, build a higher barrier of entry for others. They're not going to go to somebody else because they've got a less expensive you know, subscription model. And more importantly, they become a huge word of mouth. They become a huge proponent of your unique value add. So keep this customer lifecycle maturity model in mind. And again, Jen and I often talk about passing of the baton from each of those phases makes or breaks the organization. Jen, anything to add on this before we go to the accelerated time to close? Well, just one final point. Uh, when we present this to our clients and even prospects, it's interesting to see how the organization, even without talking about it, aligns around where they're weak and where they're strong. Yeah. And it helps sort of 
uh, guide that conversation of where we should be focusing our time and efforts on making the most impact through our various engagements and working with their tech stack and or their people. Um, it's, it's just very interesting when we present this, the executives all can identify, oh, we're strong in two, but we're weak in six. And they all seem to fall in place because they see the trends within the organization, yet there's so many silos in a lot of organizations that they don't know how to solve them themselves. I, I'm fascinated by you and I've done this with clients before where, you know, everybody knows, everybody sees what's happening, right? And we do this exercise with our clients where, you know, imagine this on a six or eight foot board and they go up and put sticky notes and not just where do you believe you're strongest? Where do you believe you're most challenged? But why? And give, you know, share an example. And we, we've done this with clients where there's clustering of these posted notes around two because we're good at creating awareness but we're not really that great about creating engagement or evaluation or they're really great on the left when it comes to adoption when it comes to impact we're just not not clicking we're not the customer success either team or organization or processes or whatever we use is not clicking so it's always fascinating to see those clusters of both strengths and challenges so then from here, keeping this in mind, so if this is kind of the 50,000 foot view of here's what we need to think about. Ideally, here's what we focus on. Ideally, here's where we invest in. Ideally, you know, here's where we proactively kind of really go to market and really invest in kind of what we do and how we do it. Jen, you and your team really focus on this accelerated time to close process. And in the previous episodes, We've covered one through four. Why don't you give the audience a glimpse into just high level, one through five. And I think today we're going to talk about this idea of scalability and the stress on the organization, the stress on your processes, your capabilities, your tech stack when you do try to scale. Yes, uh, that is what we're diving into today. But from a very high level, um, uh, levels one through four, the first one, we always want to start with the baseline assessment just because we need to know what do we have to work with? What is connected? Where where are our challenges? And get that landscape of how everything's laid out. And then we once we get the landscape, we move on to how are people engaging with the various tools and technologies and the content and the website so we can get those paths and that, those user journeys and the buyer profiles. And so we dig into the data in level two. And that leads to level three, where we actually map out the paths that we're wanting people to go on with their various buyer personas, the ICPs, the content that the journey that we're taking you on. And then the fourth stage is the improve and optimize. None of these systems are something that you can just set and forget. You always have to go back and you need to look at your data and see what's working, see what's not working, look at your conversion rates and see where people may be falling out of the funnel. And make those tweaks to, to optimize not only their journey and the end user's experience, but also the data and the way your, your data is flowing within your systems. So you can uh, streamline all of those things into one cohesive picture. And so then when we move into level five, it is about scaling the depth and breadth of your technology and your processes, because you need to crawl, walk, run. If we're just starting out with lead gen campaigns, 
okay, now how do we get a little bit more complex with that? If we have one buyer persona, what other buyer persona should we be uh, going after? If we have very simple tech stack, okay, how do we give more capabilities to our salespeople or to our marketing people to allow them to do their jobs better? So that's that's what we cover in phase five. So that's a big part of our conversation today, which is that really the scale. So let me, let me, let's talk about that. What happens when you ask a rev up engine, the processes, the team, the capabilities, the tech stack to scale? So let's just say there's a funding phase. We just raised a big series B or series C, and I need to go from 10 sales reps to 50, and we need you and I never hear this, right? We need funnel. We need top of the funnel. So how do we scale? We never hear that. How do we scale now what we've been doing with a small group to now much more kind of a, you know, approaching that, that maturity model, approaching that kind of enterprise scale approach? What, what happens to the organization when you ask it to scale? Well, at its core, you're going to stress. You're going to stress test all of the processes that you've built. You have a small team; they all know their jobs. They've all been trained, maybe by one person. There's that holding each other accountable. As you add more people, you increase the need not only for documentation, which we've talked about in previous episodes as well, um, but also for buttoning down those processes, not having data silos defining a system of truth. And so as you grow an organization, you're, you are going to be putting stress on all of those tools and systems, not only from a capabilities perspective, but also cost and return on investment and things like that. So as a leadership team, it's something that, that needs to be considered. If we're adding 20 salespeople, what is that going to do to our contract costs? But then also who's training and enabling these people? How are we going to hold them accountable? Things like that. So are you finding that 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 is well, I mean, again, we, you know, you and I've been around startups where and I've, I've seen, I've worked with, I've coached leadership teams that get on the road for road trips and they're so focused on the fundraising, which is incredibly distracting, by the way, from running the day-to-day business. But they're, let's just say they're 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 they hit you know their stride and they close on that funding. Are you finding that somebody somewhere is thinking through what that scale, the pressure test that you just mentioned, will do to our processes, our capabilities? We don't have the right people. We don't have enough of those people. Somebody thinking about those in advance, or is it a catch-up game? A lot of times, I'm seeing that it's a catch-up game. You, you may have one or two ops people, or maybe it's a, somebody on your IT team or even like your security team thinking about, okay, if we add all these licenses, how are we going to provision them, et cetera, et cetera, keep everybody secure. But from a, from a growth and scalability perspective, a lot of times training and enablement and documentation is kind of the last thing anybody thinks about. And you're right. The the leaders who are going out and raising the money, they think of all the things that they can do with that money, not necessarily of how is it going to get achieved, like tactically, day to day. Do we have the right people in place? What positions are we missing? And so I guess my question back to you would then be your best advice for a leadership team when they are approaching 
a fundraising round or they're wanting to scale and grow their business because they've hit critical mass, like what would be your best advice to approach that? I'm going to echo your comment. You know, most teams I've met certainly think about and, and very astutely plan their use of funds, right? So when you go in front of an investor and you want to raise a $5 million or a you know, $400 million round, they're going to ask, tell me about the use of those funds. And, and everybody kind of gets their shot at this, this pot of gold. So the CRO typically says, well, I'm going to really scale our sales team. The, the, the CMO typically says, we're going to go build our brand. We're going to do a demand gen campaign. We're going to go, you know, do, you know, big awareness, big kind of help support channels. We're going to do a lot of channel marketing. The Alliance channel partner says, you know, the lead says, we want to go deeper, wider in some of our channel footprint. We want to certainly go international and do more internationally as an example. So everybody's got their, I don't want to say wish list, but wish shopping list, right? Yes. Here's where it doesn't happen. Um, you and I haven't met too many leaders who own RevOps. There's somebody certainly that owns the marketing technology. There's somebody who's the Salesforce administrator, kind of owns the sales tech, if you will. And maybe there's a tech-savvy person in finance that you know tries to bring that. And if there is a customer success, you know, tech-savvy person. Maybe that's the person in finance that often brings that together. Or if there's a RevOps person, and we've met some really nice RevOps, you know, VP of finance who also owns RevOps, good people, great intentions, not enough bandwidth. They're, they're so busy being stewards of the financial model and the financial kind of, you know, the, 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 the modeling and the planning and the actuals versus projected. And that's not really their core strength or core competency. You and I were recently visiting with a client who, without naming names, the, the perception is we've got this covered. We've got this yeah. down. And we saw databases that are out of date, processes that haven't been used or followed in months. You know, all kinds of challenges that highlight RevOps really isn't being paid attention to. RevOps isn't a strategic priority. Well, and in a lot of those cases, it's uh, it's good enough. Like I hear that from many clients and, and even prospects. Oh, no, we're fine. It's good enough. Or it's running. We kind of get data out of it, which really, if you're growing and scaling your business and you need to then go back to your investors with, this is how we've used those funds most efficiently, and this is the return we got on that, good enough really shouldn't be acceptable. And and the other thing I, I keep thinking about is your comment that this isn't a George Foreman grill of <laughs> set it and forget it, right? Yeah. So you create a process. It is often created with the information you have available to you at that point in time. Yes. As the company matures, I was having this conversation with a leader, you know, early on, you're trying to make the product market fit work and you're trying to you're selling anything and everything to every ICP. Yeah, that'd be a nice to have. You know, that'd be a, that'd be you know, ideal if we go after that person. User journeys. What are those? <laughs> At the moment, we're selling. You know, it, it's it's. Hey, listen, I'm from the Middle East, so we can make fun of this. We're selling anything and everything to everybody. Come, my friend, buy one of my ten rugs. Right? It's just it's just we're, we're trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. As you mature, you start to tighten that aperture. You start to tighten up. You know what? 
we're spending a whole lot of cycles on the SMB market that really doesn't have the employee count to scale our cybersecurity you know, platform, if you will. Or we're selling a fintech solution to a mom and pop community kind of bank. And what we really need to go after is more the mid-size. That's an example. So as you tighten that ICP, as you start to get some consistent data points on the buyer's journeys, as you start to understand what they're consuming, the content they consume at each stage of their buying cycle, this is the time to revisit those processes. This is the time to, as I'm hearing you say, stress test those to ensure they in fact can scale for not 10 people hitting our website, but ideally 1,000 people, 10,000 people hitting our website. Is that what you mean by stress testing? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, even when you're smaller, those uh, field events that you go to, like a Black Hat or a DEF CON, like those are small stress tests of you've now got this huge influx of leads. How do we get them to the salespeople? Are they getting followed up with, et cetera? And so when you're small, even before you do a huge fundraising round or hire a whole bunch of people, use those uh, blips, if you will, to, to see, are your systems working? Are all of these things getting followed up with? Does sales even know these things exist? Um, and so as you grow and scale, like those small blips of additional data and influx of leads can help guide your journey and figure out where your, your low hanging fruit and what you need to fix. Uh, it shines a light on it pretty drastically. It, it, you and I also sat on a client who had a sales enablement uh, initiative going on, like on a weekly basis. It seems like sales enablement could also be incredibly valuable in kind of reinforcing with sales, with marketing teams. Now, listen, we have a process for that. So all those leads from that trade show are now in our marketing you know, technology or marketing automation platform. And by the way, they're, you know, they're also in our CRM system as leads. When you go and they're, they're allocated by your territory, which I've seen you set up brilliantly, right? And now I know that I've got you know, 20 leads from that trade show in my own backyard. And as I go work those leads and I follow up with them, then they move along that kind of lead uh, development, lead scoring, lead progression, if you will. So these are the things that sales enablement can remind them, that can show you the sales steps, the marketing steps that the team ideally should be following. Is this also beyond stress testing, stress testing, say that fast three times, <laughs> your processes, is this also a good time to revisit your capabilities? It is. It, I mean, to your point, sales enablement is a huge partner of your revenue operations team. Or even if you don't have rev ops, you have marketing ops, sales ops, sales enablement needs to be part of that and reinforce those processes because they do have those conversations with the sales reps and the training on a more consistent basis than maybe your ops team does and that visibility. Um, but if you don't have a sales ops function and you're scaling your teams, now is definitely the time to revisit. Do we need that person? Because if you aren't having those consistent conversations and you're not retraining and reinforcing what that process is, all the best salespeople in the world, they will know the process, but they will find ways around it. Like they will go rogue and I love salespeople to death, but they, they, 
they are the bane of a lot of ops people's existence because they, they will find the shortest route possible, even if it's not the route that we need them to take. And so having someone like a sales enablement team it, or team or person is really, really important. So evaluating, do we even have the right people here from an ops perspective, having someone keeping their pulse on what's happening within all those tools, like your system architect, someone needs to be stewarding what is happening within your tech. What tech are we adding? How many seats? What is like, where are we going? What are we adding, deleting, whatever, like having a system architect on your team. If you don't currently have one, that's another one to evaluate. Do we need a dedicated person to do this? But then also from your lead gen or marketing or your sales perspective, do we have the right people to then drive the demand and then follow up with it? And having the right balance of all of these positions is really important as you try and grow and scale your company. So stay on this topic for a while, because you you know, I've talked to executives about aligning talent to value creation. Yep. And as a startup or as a you know, micro enterprise in a large, large company, your concern is always headcount. So Jen, you're savvy enough to know headcount is often a fixed kind of liability and that paycheck comes up every couple of weeks. And, you know, I don't want to recruit someone and then lay them off in a couple of months because we're not doing whatever. And so most leaders I know are cautious about adding headcount. And yet we realize that we need that capability. We need that competency to, in fact, scale. Yes. How do you balance, because you just rattled off, you know, sales ops and a, and a systems architect and I need a lead gen person. And where do you prioritize and how do you balance the need to add those additional capabilities and competencies to scale without adding fat to the organization that, that just makes that group bloated and they're not necessarily creating value. They're not salespeople to create value. They're not exactly marketing people to do a lead jet campaign. How do you make sure you don't overburden the organization with overhead? It is a delicate balance. I, in a lot of our clients and, and past work that I've done, I feel that most organizations are adding headcount in certain areas too slowly. Like they're not looking ahead enough to understand where they're going to get lean very quickly. So like sales enablement, as an example, they, they don't have that position filled today and they'll hire 10 sales reps and just expect the training and the documentation that's been created to suffice. And then when everybody's going rogue, they wonder why is this happening? And so they, they then try and put in a sales enablement person and it's just, it's, it's a mismatch. So back to your question of balancing and ensuring that we have the right people, it would be continuously looking at the capacity of the team that exists. And so if your ops team, if you have a ops director or lead or whatever, make sure that they're the ones that are the steward of the system architecture and eventually they may need to hand it off to a dedicated person to handle that. But the ops in general should be able to handle that until you have too many systems. And when I say too many systems, it would be three to four systems per person on your ops team. And so if everybody's operating and adminning four systems, 
you may need to add another headcount on the op side because you're now taxing those people uh, to their capacity and they can't take on more work. So constantly looking at what they're doing and how many people we have doing these things is, is really important in this entire landscape. How do I justify that additional headcount to manage a system that is the, the again, the back end to our customer facing market facing revenue generating. And, and I got to tell you, and, and you, again, you've seen this, a lot of sales executives, CROs complain that marketing just becomes bloated. And I'm not sure what these people do all day. And, I, and I'm saying that respectfully. Yeah. But how do you justify that additional headcount that doesn't seem to be, it's certainly at, at first glance, directly contributing to revenue creation? That's definitely a hard one to answer. I guess my best recommendation would be to consider the cost of not adding the person. If your tools are working at half capacity, I mean, we had a client in the past that they were using like 10% of the capacity of one of their tools that was a six-figure contract annually for them. That's a huge investment. And if that investment that you've made in a technology is not operating at its highest efficiency, how, what is the cost of that to the organization? And so looking at it from that perspective is probably the best approach that I can recommend when you're trying to balance somebody who may not be contributing to go to market, but they are contributing to the efficiency of the organization. And another way for our audience, I, I tend to plan the seed is if you really think about a, a matrix approach, there are individuals who are value creators. If you think of a sales rep, if you think of uh, an engineer who develops the platform unequivocally, those folks create value. There's also a group of individuals that are value enablers. And one way to think of that is exactly, Jen, the way you described it is we've invested in this technology platform to make our sales reps more efficient more productive, more intelligent out in the market. So they understand buyer behavior, buyer intent. We, by the way, we're, we're kind of practicing what we preach. We've dramatically upscaled our own kind of tech stack and processes and tools and capabilities and what we do and how we do it ourselves. And I got to tell you, it's really difficult. Jen and I have had this conversation to make that investment. Yep. But if we don't, are you now enabling your sales organization, your revenue generation engine to be as optimized, as efficient as, you know, you've got a Porsche 911. It has no gas and oil. Right? <laughs> so it looks great sitting in the driveway, but it's not going to go anywhere without not just a gas and oil, but a competent trained driver and right? The resources to get the most out of that investment. And it's the thing that that value enabling is one way to justify how do we add additional headcount that may not be customer facing, but if they can feed that sales rep with the right leads of the right ICP at the right buying stage, mm -hmm. that then helps that sales rep do what they're there to do and become incredibly impactful in their efforts. To me, that's how I can justify 
that headcount. So, well, and, yeah. Sorry, and to like carry on that thought, like if you think about like optimizing your conversion rates, like that's another way to look at it. If you if your conversion rate today is three percent, and adding another ops person maybe increases that to four or five percent, like that's that's significant revenue that you've now helped move down the pipeline, move down the funnel to close one revenue. You've now paid for that person already just by that one small change. So talk about the conversion rate. What does it mean? Where does it come from? How would I do that? How would I, how can I tie an additional ops person in my ability to scale to a stronger conversion? It would be reviewing the, the processes and the handoffs. So going back to our infinity model, making sure that at each point that a lead is moving from one team to the next or down the journey, that handoff is as clean and, and as, as efficient as possible. And so to your earlier point of making sure that the person is fed the right piece of content at the right time, then handed off to the salesperson in the right stage of their journey to have a buying conversation. Like if optimizing your tool will allow you to do that, then it helps your conversion rate along the way because now you're not having to the salesperson's not having to spend a bunch of time educating that person because they've already been educated through the efforts of marketing that person's now ready to have a buying conversation so you just you make everything run a little bit more efficiently and so then that's how you can see your 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 conversion rates change and increase so i can sell more absolutely and so and then also in your outbound motion Similarly, if you can get the right people into the system so your sales reps can call them because they're the right person, title, organization size looking for your solution, you're narrowing the focus of what your salespeople are doing. And so then they can have the right number of conversations that will also generate more opportunities that are um, of quality that will then contribute to the bottom line and the, and the close one revenue. So we've talked about stress testing the processes. We've talked about it's enhancing, amplifying your capabilities. Talk about tech stack. What, what happens when I have to scale? So now I have more people, they're trained. I've got more ops people. We're, we're investing much more heavily in lead gen. We're driving traffic to our website. People are downloading from those landing pages, the assets that we've created. Jen, we've got a lot more activity going on. Yeah. How do I stress test my tech stack to make sure, it, you know, we don't make all those investments and then it kind of, the, the scaffolding kind of falls, falls apart. <laughs> you never want to have your, your tech stack be a house of cards or put together with what I call digital duct tape. Um. So as you grow and scale, having that person who's the steward of your tech stack and steward of what's happening within your systems is really important because they will then be able to forecast and look forward of, okay, we've hired six people. We need this number of licenses. This is how it's going to affect just cost wise. But then also maybe there's another tool that will help us scale better. So maybe today we're using three tools to do intent routing and marketing automation, but maybe there's a tool in the market that was pretty expensive, but now you're at critical scale. 
that bringing that one tool on will replace these three tools and how do we transition to that? And so constantly reevaluating, do we have the right technology? Just like, do we have the right people in these positions? Looking at your technology in a sense of, is this the right tech for what we're trying to achieve and the outcome that we're after is really important in the overall process. Yeah, and this is something else that you and I don't see enough of, right? So, and it's again, it's painful because you're 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 going to that next maturity stair step, and that delta is often an investment. That delta is an investment in more people, better training of these people, you know, enhancing or upgrading your tech stack, and of course, several SaaS platforms out there that will go unnamed are fantastic in selling you upgrades, having signed a few. For our audience, I used to have more hair before I met Gen Cores because having signed a few of these upgrades, they're always happy to upgrade you to the next platform. But as you remind me, there's a reason, and they're savvy enough to separate the individual edition from the small team edition, from the large team edition, from enterprise, because enterprise allows you to now integrate seamlessly a lot of other things and really get the most out of what that tech stack is capable of. Is that a fair kind of look at those, you know, slopes and the investment you make in the tech stack? It is. Yeah. I mean, and using our, our own example. So the one that you were just referencing, so the technology that um, we were upgrading, we could have gone one stair step. So we went two stair steps up because I wanted to create, a seamless ecosystem because it will be best for us, for you, your work, for our, for Zach's work. And so it creates that seamless ecosystem. We could have only gone one stair step up. And we see this in a lot of companies. They will go one stair step up because it's, they think it's incrementally better. They're just like, oh, well, we don't need all of those capabilities. We only need a couple of them. But what they're missing is the cost delta between one stair step and two stair steps and the efficiency that two would bring is often better than the cost and the headache that it would create by just doing the one stair step. So like if we did one stair step, we'd connect two of our tools, not all three of our tools. And so for efficiency purposes and for that ecosystem that we need, all three need to be connected. And so going two stair steps up saves us some of that headache of having to digitally duct tape our systems together. So, uh, one of the challenges, I hear you on processes. I heard you on capabilities. I heard you on tech stack. Yep. Every leader you and I have spoken with, certainly for the last several Year. months, if not a couple of years, <laughs> is really struggling in finding the talent to proactively manage, really be a steward of those three things that you and I are passionate about. We talk to clients about. So talk to me about the talent I'm looking for, number one. Number two, just to give our audience a glimpse, we've already found like 200 plus ads on LinkedIn alone for like RevOps people. So clearly an in-demand role. Jen, is there an interim solution? And then the third, so what am I looking for? Until I find that person, is there an interim solution? And then God forbid we do this investment and that person leaves, how do I make sure we're not, you know, on crutches now and none of the stuff works because that person did it their way. And 
So talk a little about the talent agenda in this in this arena. Sure. So as you've mentioned, there's a ton of positions open for rev ops and marketing ops and sales ops. Ops in general is kind of, is a high demand function right now. Uh, post pandemic and even in pandemic, a lot of companies realized that they were not as robust in the operations department as they probably should have been to handle everybody going home from work and continuing business. And so that shift put a spotlight on the need for operations, on the need for sales enablement, on the need for proper documentation of what is happening, where we can't, like, I can't just walk down the hall and ask Susie, what do I do with this thing? I, it, it really shined a light on a lot of that process that wasn't refined before. And so in the, in the industry, in the operations industry, um, or in that job function, the shift to revenue operations is, is the thought process to unify marketing and sales and, and customer success and, and remove those silos. Because a lot of times we do work, well, you're responsible for marketing, you're responsible for sales, you're responsible for customer success, and we don't talk, even though we all play within the same tools. Uh, so revenue operations is the shift to unify all of those. And there's a lot of really good technicians that know their tool, that know their space. There's very few, and I don't want to say they're unicorns, but more and more they are becoming unicorns that do understand the whole journey, that whole go-to-market motion. And that's what people are looking for is somebody who can understand what's happening in marketing, understand sales, understand customer success and put it all together. And so you need someone that not only can do the job, like get in and do the tools, but also have that vision and that 10,000 foot view of how do we make this actually all work together. And and what something just not to interrupt your thought, but something we've talked to clients about is that that that's what seems to make a lot of these individuals unicorns, because you need the technical skills, you got to understand kind of the marketing motion, you got to understand lead gen, you got to understand that conversion between and the translation between marketing and sales because it is, you know, Mars and Venetian language that the two organizations speak. Yes. And it seems like finding all of that in one person is really a challenge. Is that is that accurate? I would say that's accurate, which is why if you can find people that are strong in certain areas and then support and enable them to build their team around them. So maybe you do have somebody that's great at the vision. They can see all the puzzle pieces. They understand those three different motions and can make it a cohesive journey. And they can do the job, but they don't love doing the tactical stuff allow them to hire someone. Maybe it's a part-time person, maybe it's a contractor, whatever the case may be, but allow them to supplement their own skills with somebody else that can, that is passionate about that one thing. And so then your, your visionary is leading the charge and they have people that can help support execute the charge underneath them. Uh, so that's one tactic to do it. The other way to do it would be to have uh, somebody on the executive team, I've seen this work as well, that is that came from operations in some degree, and they too understand all the pieces. And so then that executive leader is the steward of the vision, and they find really good tacticians in ops 
to then do the vision that they're after. And, and, and on that note, most executives I know care about the outcome, not necessarily the output. So right. as long as legal and ethical, I don't care what you do and how you do it. And, and, and not, not to be crass about it, but I'm, I'm less concerned about what right. you do and how you do it. And what I, the output, what I'm really after is the outcome, which is, again, think of a CRO. I want exactly what you said. I want my commercial reps. I want, I want the BDRs. I want the you know commercial reps. I want the enterprise reps to be talking to the right prospect at the right time in their buying cycle. And ideally, you know, ideal if marketing is air cover and that organization has heard of us before we kind of reach out or as we're reaching out, we've got the right digital assets to engage them and really create an opportunity for them to evaluate the need for our solution. So, so I'm after the outcome and I often coach people. There's a third component, which you cannot lose sight of. Output is kind of what we do and how we do it. Outcome is kind of the interim results that we create. It's really the impact, Mm -hmm. the impact that becomes the connective tissue. The impact is what ultimately should be a we challenge and opportunity from a sales and a marketing standpoint together, along with customer success. That's the real promised land is when you put output, right? The, The marketing ops, the sales ops, the customer success ops, the rev ops has got to do their job that then contributes to outcomes of now this revenue engine is as optimized as it could be to then create impact, which is the logos, which is the closed revenue, which is the increased valuation because we've got this engine that's now humming and it's you know kind of firing in all cylinders. So what else? So we talked about what to look for in talent. Until such time, is there an interim solution? Hire us? No. Hire, hire us. <laughs> that was a softball, Jen Cords. Yes. Yes, you and your team. Hire us. <laughs> yes, you and your team can do the interim work. We can. Uh, but, I mean, on top of that also, um, one of the, the things that I would recommend for executive leaders to do, and just, I mean, any leader within an organization, is don't, create solutions in a silo. A lot of times we see that with our client work when we come in to help organizations, we're seeing leaders of their function. So your CRO, he's solutioned exactly what he wants the output to be, the outcome to be. He, he's figured it out and he goes to an ops person and says, go do X. That's really not the most optimal way to work between functions. It's best if you put both functions or all the functions, marketing, sales, customer success, everybody, put them in a room and have the leaders, to your point, describe the vision. This is what I want to happen. This is where I want us to be. Then ask the ops person or people, how do we get there? Or go find us a solution to get there. I don't care how you do it, what you do, whatever. Give us a path forward. And so describe the outcome and then allow the ops to do their job. Don't solution it yourself and then ask them to execute because you're you're still going to get a mismatch. They know the landscape of your technology process people way better than you will. Yes, you're the executive. Yes, you're leading it all. At the same time, they live and breathe it day to day. So tell them what you want, 
and then allow them to go do their their job and execute and, and build you the best solution to get you that outcome. And for any and every executive who might be listening or watching <laughs> this, let me let me tell you from a personal standpoint, you know, the yin and the yang, that's Jen Kors, my business partner, is exactly what she just described. We've gotten to a place where I often describe the outcome that I'm after, right? Here, Jen, here's what I want us to do. Here's what I want our team to be able to do. You know, it's very easy for somebody to say, I want our team to see a 360 degree view of a customer. What does that look like? And Jen and our team do a great job in asking, tell me more. What does that look like? Tell me what you want to do with that. Tell me how will you be better off? So once they understand the outcomes I'm after, then she goes and rattles off, hey, here's eight different solutions and it could be good, better, best. Here's how we can get there. Here's, by the way, it's not just a tool. We need a process. We need a ticketing system. We need you know, ways to kind of really document this, which leads me to the second one. And the last question on that talent side, you're also really passionate about documentation for exactly that reason. Someone leaves and it's human nature that, you know, grass is always green on the other side. I'm going to go take another role or, you know what? I've saved enough. I'm going to take some time off and go travel to Zimbabwe <laughs> or, or Bora Bora. That person leaves. You don't want to be stuck so your solution is documentation. And if it's documented well, another competent, capable person can take over and ideally hit the ground running without a missing, missing a beat. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And one of my previous episodes for RevUp was all about documentation. And you have to be intentional about it. It's usually the last thing on anybody's to-do list. Nobody likes doing it. It's not a glamorous job. But documenting what is happening and how it's connected and it not only gives you the visibility into the ripple effects when we add a new technology, what is it going to do to the rest of the stack, but it also allows you the knowledge and that, that collected knowledge over time of how are these things connected, what are the processes, and it also, from a sales perspective, if you have that process documented of how do you work a lead, a trade show happens, I've gotten now assigned a lead, I've never done this before, what do I do? It gives them a place to go and find those answers on their own without having to wait. It enables them to do their job without waiting on somebody else to show them how to do it. And so it onboards them and ramps them a lot faster because they have this resource to go find their answers. And in the, in the remote world now, it also allows people to work efficiently across time zones. Uh, so, I mean, Nora and I are both on the East Coast, but when I was on the, on the West Coast or when he's traveling, like because we have our systems documented, he's able to get into the system and see the leads that he needs to follow up with or the executive calls he needs to make because people are interested in talking to him without having to wait for me to come online or get up or whatever. And like our BDR also, he can be wherever and know what he needs to do without having to wait for one of us to get, give him that direction because it's documented. So I want to switch gears. Uh, I've always believed within the change management world, the pain of where I am has got to be so great that it serves as a motivation for me to change. Yes. The other, the other, so if that's, that's the, that's the push, the other fascinating, I think human psyche is the pull of a promised land. 
pull of when we do this, imagine what could be possible. Paint that picture for me and for our audience of that scalable promised land. What am I able to do from a sales, marketing, customer success, from a maturity life cycle model that we shared when I do this, when I upgrade my processes, my capabilities, my tech stack, Jen, what does that look like? What, what, what give me that utopia that I want to reach for that will endure the pain, the investment, the expense, the stair step climb to get there? Utopia, uh, from an ops perspective, uh, just quickly. Uh, utopia is when everything runs seamlessly and nobody really knows that you're there in the background. I call it being a puppet master. So when all the systems just kind of run, the data goes, leads are showing up in people's inboxes where they need to, they can follow up, make their calls, whatever the reports are there, the dashboards look great. Like that's, that is utopia for ops people, for salespeople, for executive leadership, like making, just knowing everything that's happening within the business at any given moment is the utopia. To get there, it is, you have to have a path forward. So yes, that's that's what you're working towards. Everything running seamlessly, everybody just doing their job efficiently at the highest capacity possible, but you have to show incremental process. So I, I call it MVP. It's something that I picked up from a previous company I worked at. It's minimal viable product. So it's incremental increases consistently. And so every single day you just roll out another feature or functionality within the system. So you document one more tool or you make one more connection between tools and you just consistently work towards this utopia. Um, the picture that can be painted is when you hit utopia, when you get to that point where your sales team has consistent training and enablement, all your tools are working efficiently. Your ops team is comfortable adding new technologies into the stack without disrupting everything, what can happen is you can roll out a new system and process and it can be days to have a new campaign launched versus weeks. And so the time to revenue, the time to launch new ideas is shortened because everybody knows what they're doing and everybody knows their piece of that puzzle. And the executive is comfortable because they they can see it all and they they have the glimpse into well we start here the ripple effect will be here by x and everybody just has that understanding so for for the executives that i've coached for for leaders that jen and i often engage and 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 talk them through and that's by the way that's our offer if we can just no strings attached talk to you through kind of where you are, where you're trying to get to. We're happy to do that. We also have a kind of a checklist that we share with executives on here's some things you should be thinking about around your processes, around your capabilities, around your tech stack. We're happy to help you think through that process. But I often coach leaders to think about your journey from now to next, to think about where you are today and where are you trying to get this to? And particularly if you're a CRO or a CMO, and what we've talked about, scaling your processes, your capabilities, and your tech stack will directly contribute to material impact, to material value creation in the organization. 
this is not the place to skip. This is not the place to look for the cheapest tool I can get to get a spot. It, it, you, it's going to cost you more time, effort, resources to do it again than it is to do it right up front. Yes. So getting these things right in thinking through that journey and thinking through that, how do we bridge the maturity of the organization from, you know what, today we're the startup scrappy, everybody does whatever they we don't want to change that entrepreneurial DNA. We just want to bring more maturity. We want to bring more discipline. We want to bring more consistency. We want to bring more, uh, you know, get things out of people's heads and down on paper or down into steps that can be repeatable, that can create predictable outcomes. That journey from now to next is a series of stair steps. And with each step, you increase the viability of the data, the accuracy of the data, the capability of the team, the cap cross-functional capability of the team. Jen's a big believer of, you know, training people on multiple platforms and, you know, somebody's out, somebody else can cover for them and processes that actually are not built in silos, but they integrate really nicely in that handoff with one another. So we believe that's the opportunity to really streamline your processes, to really elevate your capabilities, to really amplify your tech stack, to really driller, deliver the outcomes and the impact that you're after. So with that, I appreciate, look at this, Doug Lehman's jumping in, discipline uh, of the tactical steps, good topics in Lehman's, Lehman's terms. Yeah, Doug is a fabulous communicator of great ideas. We appreciate him joining us and jumping in. So for our audience, uh, we hope this has been useful to you. Uh, Jen and I are live uh, on Tuesdays, 11 Eastern, to share RevUp. Uh, you can watch us live on Facebook, LinkedIn, in the NOR group, uh, YouTube, Twitter, as well as uh, we repurpose these into our podcasts. So I hope you'll search for RevUp podcast uh, wherever you consume podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you jump in. Come join us in the NOR Forum community. So norgroup.com slash forum is our online community. Jen runs the RevOps group. Some great folks, like-minded professional, business professionals in there that are passionate about relationships, that are passionate about revenue growth. Come join us. Come be a part of our community where we'll continue these conversations. On behalf of Jen, Jen, any final closing comments on scale? No, I think you covered it for now. And so I just thank everybody for joining us. Good. On behalf of my partner, Jen Cords, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care.